0: This is Theology Gaming Monologues, and this is Bayonetta. A quote from Hideki Kamiya, director of Bayonetta. I've said this before for Devil May Cry, but this game is like a letter of challenge to players. I think a game for hardcore players is now quite valuable. On this occasion, I would like you players to rise to this challenge. This is our letter of challenge to you, but when you receive it and hone your skills, our challenge letter will change one day into a challenge for yourself. I want you to challenge your limits and master this game. We have packed this game with many elements there will be information which you won't understand by looking on the internet. I want you to dive into this game a number of times. We hope you will love Bayonetta for many years to come. Before discussing Bayonetta, it's extremely important to examine its ancestral line and its predecessors. It's a more revolutionary title than many have previously believed, and the comparisons to God of War or Mindless beat-em-ups are downright tragic. In fact, Bayonetta equals a melding of the arcade and the home experience, brought to life with an exuberant and completely insane visual style, visceral combat, and complex mechanics that demand and reward mastery. Honestly, not many modern games really achieve that level of stupendous perfection, but Bayonetta, even with its relatively minor flaws, is definitely one of them, for this or any generation of video games. Now, I could certainly pile on hyperbole after hyperbole here, and not really reach any notable destination. What, then, makes Bayonetta such an excellent game? Bayonetta might have the label of Platinum Games on itself, but the product's designs only bow to the whims of one man, Hideki Kamiya. Kamiya is a product of his influences as much as anything else. Rather, not influences, but games that he loves and holds dear. According to the Bayonetta Limited Edition guide, he cites three games as his particular favorites, The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, Gradius, and Space Harrier. All three subtly produce their fruit within Bayonetta's mechanics and style. Firstly, A Link to the Past has been revered by the game community at large forever for its perfection of, at the very least, the two-dimensional Zelda formula. We can imagine that this success derives from several elements, exploration, exploration, simple combat augmented with a variety of weapons and abilities, in the feeling of childhood wandering from the bright and colorful graphics. But none of these elements would meld into a fully formed masterpiece without good planning. For Zelda games, planning remains key to the experience. Unlike, say, a Metroid game, which almost dares the player to push the limits and play elements of the game out of their intended order for speed, the Zelda series takes a much more relaxed tone. It plays out in a completely linear fashion for the most part, especially in the dungeon sequences. Yet many say they love Zelda's exploration, and love dungeons. What gives? Doesn't this contradict the very essential elements of the Zelda formula? Where it succeeds, then, is deceiving the player into thinking he or she is exploring a vast world when, really, they are following the developer's intended path. Zelda games always contain hidden paths and items, But not all of these are necessary. Thus, for those who want to complete the game, as well as those who want to nudge and work their way through every nook and cranny to find how devious Nintendo's developers can become when given such a world, both parties find equal satisfaction. Kamiya, understanding this very element, has created a very linear game. However, he uses the perception of its linearity to its advantage. There are myriad hidden items, weapons, health power-ups, special challenges, you name it, hidden throughout the game. Some take advantage of the player's diverted attention, others are hidden by the direction of the camera. Certainly, no one will deny that Bayonetta contains an entirely linear group of combat set pieces, lined one against the other like dominoes, yet even these elements contain room for exploration. Honestly, this fact surprised me greatly after my first playthrough. I'd only attained a few of the weapons in the whole game, and to find nearly 6 or 7 more, and I haven't even gotten the rest yet, was almost unbelievable. It's no wonder that Kamiya said of A Link to the Past that this game should be displayed in museums as one of humanity's treasures. Its planning is godlike. Furthermore, this extensive planning lends itself to these set pieces. Like dominoes, each combat sequence or cutscene simply builds the tension of the action to an absolute breaking point, spread across nearly 20 hours of game. Or at least, that's as long as it took me to get through the first time. (laughs) I'm not sure what that says about me. In fact, I'd say it gets crazier and crazier. And when you think it can't get any more crazy, well, it does. Because this is Bayonetta, and this game is literally 8 or 9 years of Kamiya thinking about how he could improve the Devil May Cry experience. Granted, Devil May Cry 1 was a fantastic game. Based originally on a build of the next resident evil game, the project transformed into what we now call a stylish action game, something new and probably impossible with the previous generation of hardware. It combined the 3D action game with a scoring system not unlike those of the arcade scene, where shmups, as in shoot 'em ups, as in games with little shooter, you know, little spaceships that shoot things, and fighters still retain scoring systems, the latter for reasons I still don't comprehend. Still this lent the game its own replayability, as well as presenting a number of difficulty levels that increasingly changed the way the game had to be played, especially within the time limits imposed on Dante must die mode. Enemies don't just remain the same on each subsequent level, they gain new attacks and new abilities, they come in different combinations. Even bosses can switch up their tactics. Although those aspects are not true of the arcade, they can be done on a home console. Bayonetta adopts these from the original Gradius. Kambia reminisces about the first time he played Gradius and saw the option system. In Gradius, unlike other 2D shmups of the time, the player is allowed to change and edit his shot trajectory by picking up power-ups. These appear when enemies die or explode, allowing the player to choose whether or not to take that particular power-up. Of course, what's interesting about Gradius is the variety in choices. Not only do you find these weapons, but you also gain options. Literally, a tiny spaceship that follows the main craft around. These tiny crafts usually emulate what the main ship has as its weapon, and can be arranged in a number of ways to create, for example, a wall of lasers or fire, or perhaps concentrated fire. Konami provides the player with seemingly limitless firepower that Takamiya was amazing for its time. How could the game provide such unbelievably powerful weapons? Still, it works. The weapon choice and positioning functions at the same time as you're trying to avoid enemies from every direction and planetary objects as well. And this is a game that takes the standard notions of one hit deaths quite seriously. In sum, Radius presents the tools to the player and it is up to them to use them correctly. And probably not touch walls. One can see this trend with Bayonetta as well. How many weapons are in there in the game? At least eight unique ones, by my count, followed by a few more powerful variations, and the fun item, Rodan. Since Bayonetta uses both punches and kicks, many of these weapons equip on both hands and legs, changing movesets and doubling the amount of use, with the exception of the Shiraba Sword and the Saifung Nunchucks. That's not even to mention a variety of accessories that can shield damage, give you the ability to parry attacks with good timing just by pressing forward, And Metal Gear Rising Revengeance pretty much stole that. Increased enemy strength, mostly done for score combo ability, health regeneration, extra damage from minions, automatic dodge with magic power that was already gained from combat, double and triple attack buffs, automatic magic charge, and some other fun objects for those who played the game before. That's not to mention that Bayonetta herself has HUNDREDS of moves, which either subtly change to reflect your current equipment, or rework the movesets entirely for a new experience. Honestly, it's unbelievable that there's this much work put in, but as Kamiya thinks, we give the player the tools, and they do what they want with them. But Bayonetta also provides an arena to use these weapons. There is a triptych of goals within every Bayonetta situation, one to defeat enemies, Two, to get the highest score possible by being the most stylish in maintaining your combo. Third, defeat all enemies quickly. Like Devil May Cry's chapter division in various levels, Bayonetta's combat sequences divide into verses where you are individually scored for performance. Can you ignore these entirely? Certainly. The same way you can play Easy Automatic Mode, which basically plays a game for you with one button the whole toy. But obviously, this is not the way the game is designed. The developers intended for players to succeed by becoming better at the game. At first, your scores will, frankly, be absolutely horrific. There's really no way to avoid this. Bayonetta throws lots of impossible situations at the player with alarming frequency. Or at least the perception of impossible. Of course, it's impossible from the perspective of an observer. Kamiya's other favorite game, like Space Harrier, was a revolution in this sense. Not only did it fully utilize Sega's current Arc System hardware in full color, 65,335 different colors, for those curious, yet also presented seemingly impossible situations to the player. Kamiya watched a player at the arcade blaze through what appeared to be the final stage with the greatest of ease, even though he could barely comprehend what was occurring on screen. However, he realized that this beautiful, colorful, insane game was only on its second level. It is in that sense that Kamiya says he puts all his respect for Space Harrier into Bayonetta, and it shows. Does Bayonetta look crazy? Absolutely. Half the time, any new player will be completely swamped by angels, the game's main antagonists, who seek Bayonetta, a witch, and want her to die. The game throws you into the fray from its very first sequence, and you'll get hit. A lot. But you're allowed to make mistakes. Perhaps the biggest problem many gamers have with Bayonetta's combat is its fluidity. Now, this might seem odd, but Bayonetta provides no block button whatsoever. There is no way to stand in place and simply, quote-unquote, defend against one's enemies. Instead, Bayonetta only allows dodging, and dodging attacks at the last second activates Witch Time, a bullet time, a la The Matrix-like effect that allows you, the player, to attack the enemies, now in slow motion, at full speed. It also doubles the points you gain from successful attacks via the combo system. So there's a two-fold objective, to kill enemies and get points. Sounds like any arcade game in the world, right? There's also a magic system, which stores po- points for flashy torture attacks, which look exactly as they sound but provide you with a breather and a combo point bonus. Why would you need that? Stuff is happening, lights flash, enemies explode, yell at you in a made-up language that is actually translatable, throw all sorts of projectiles, and new enemies pop into the fray continually. And all this to the tune of Fly Me to the Moon, the old standard. Describing it in two words, it's total chaos. Being thrown into the deep end is, frankly, exciting. I like being treated like I am, at the very least, competent with a controller in the basic design of a video game. The game's depth shows itself right away, and that's fantastic. As Kamiya says, from the very start, this game was developed for the core gamers. Our aims and the player's feelings about those aims have matched nicely. But the difficulty is never unfair. It is merely a process of learning, pattern recognition, and quick reflexes. Once at a time, the basic foundation of all great video games. Everything in the game has some kind of predictor whether it be a motion, a sound, or a quick flash. These might throw the player's game off the first time, but the player is supposed to learn from that experience. Thus, the next time a similar circumstance occurs, they can avoid it even when the enemy attacks from outside the player's point of view, off-screen, or anywhere else. It is, furthermore, unfair if the developers, Kamiya's idea, give the player an unintuitive control scheme that make it, literally, impossible for a player to win. Thus, the game needs to flow, play, and work for the player's benefit. Because the game runs on the Xbox 360 or Wii U version, anyway, don't bother with the PS3 unless you have to play it there, at 60 frames per second consistently, fluidity remains a hallmark of Bayonetta's combat. Everything works perfectly at the touch of a button. Over time, Bayonetta's movements become a literal extension of your own will, and it is in this that Kamiya succeeded brilliantly. As well, this fluidity comes across with evasion as the key tactic. One is never encouraged to stop moving in Bayonetta, especially with the use of the dodge offset, which allows you to hold on to your combo while you're dodging. And there's this sort of rhythmic quality that over time allows the player to succeed in ways they couldn't have dreamed when they first started playing. Of course, this isn't just like the arcade at all. However, it is the arcade experience as translated to the console generation. There's no one-hit deaths here until you reach some of the extra content, and boy, do you get a lot of that. In fact, what's interesting about the extra unlockables is that many of them make the game harder. Usually, such bonuses are a touch-and-go affair. You get god mode, become invincible, mow down enemies, and get bored. Kamiya, on the other hand, is not a lazy director. Instead, we get multiple difficulty levels attached to the main game, each of which changes the game in pretty significant ways. They are balanced with the tools and power-ups gained from normal, so hardbone, for example, slams the player with more enemies which do more damage and also throws in more difficult enemy setups that you wouldn't have seen in the normal game. Furthermore, the score and time requirements for high rankings, which go from stone at the bottom, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and pure platinum, become more stringent. Timing becomes much more important, but what else will a player want to do? They don't want an easier game. That's what happens when I become proficient with the game in my original playthrough. Rather I want more challenge, something to really kick my butt, and strive for me to learn the mechanics more and more thoroughly. Infinite, non-stop, Infinite Climax mode provides players even further difficulty. The enemies aren't harder because they're the exact same enemy setups that are in hard mode, but the game has been tuned because which time has been removed in its entirety. This makes the game even faster and more intense, but the task is very doable for everyone who wants to conquer and master, and for somebody who has actually gotten the parry ability. (laughs) For those even more inclined to play again, two additional characters can be unlocked. They play like Bayonetta and have her arsenal, but their mechanics change slightly. Possible spoilers ahead for any forewarned, Jeanne only activates the Witch Time mechanic at the very frame at which an enemy attack would land, this makes much of her playthrough like Infinite Climax, but it also rewards you infinitely more for actually dodging correctly. She also has an unlimited number of dodges. For those who don't know, Bayonetta can only dodge five times in a row, which limits her mobility. Of course, Bayo activates Witch Time much easier, which means John actually needs that to compensate as she takes 50% more damage. Her scoring requirements also change drastically as her witch time gives double points, and her wicked weaves do tons more damage than Bayonetta. Lastly, for those who are insane, insane hardcore, King of Level Level Little Devils—ugh, that's a lot of mispronunciations. King of Little Devils Zero is a joke character, but for all the one credit clear people out there, Zero provides that fun experience as he can sustain only two hits of damage total. He also gains magic at a much faster rate than the other two, obviously balanced by his lack of stamina. These are little things, I know, but the game itself holds so much depth and little, little nuances that these little changes add to a lot and change your approach on even the simplest encounters. It's almost like relearning the game, and that's pretty tough to wrap your mind around in a game so reflex-heavy like this. That's even before I mention Angel Slayer mode or a gauntlet-style continuous encounter that throw waves of enemies and bosses at you continuously with absolutely no health power-ups just you and your skill against the world of Bayonetta. Then there's the super, super secret boss as well, and even the game's enemy designer couldn't beat him, although many, not including myself, have sense. All in all, I haven't even scratched the surface here, and it's difficult to put this in words. However, these words will do. Play this game. It's a great game. Now it's cheap, as well so you have no excuse and if you have a Wii U and you bought Bayonetta 2 you own that game and you own Bayonetta 2 so really what is the problem (laughs) there are a few things that have turned people off to the experience however and I completely understand the whole problem of having a property with very strange cultural sensibilities jump the pond into western culture First of all, the plot doesn't make any sense. It's literally a bunch of crazy hot nonsense. But I like nonsense, and if you like anime nonsense, then this just might be your thing. Kamiya, as he himself admits, has a boundless imagination that just thinks of the craziest stuff he can find and just runs with it. That's what allows the grand finale to be hilarious and awesome all at the same time. I hate spoiling it, but how many other games allow you to drive a motorcycle of a spacecraft for no apparently sane reason, or fight a giant god in space, and then steer him, her, or it into the sun? It's a game through and through. I get to do amazingly crazy things that all come from human imagination and ingenuity. At times like these, I think of the divine breath within all of human creation, when God in Genesis 2 does the following. Then the Lord formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. God has imbued humanity with a divine breath, a divine spark, as it's more commonly known, that allows us to have these crazy imaginations, and has led, for both good and bad, into the production and creation of vast civilizations, new technology, and total dominion over the earth. And also, this game... (laughs) I imagine the comparison seems insignificant, even slight. But there's something to be said for the little pleasures in life like Bayonetta. Just something so over-the-top and insane, but you can't help but crack a goofy smile in glee. Honestly, I am surprised myself at how much I enjoyed it, compared to how much that I had actually anticipated it. We might ask furthermore... Why shouldn't we be allowed to challenge ourselves, even in an utterly useless, for the real world anyway, enterprise? I've always wondered why Christianity had to, has to do with our pursuits in entertainment and media, but I think the answer is simple. Even playing a video game should reflect the kind of life a Christian lives. As Paul says in Colossians, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience... Sharing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Not that the Apostle Paul would be talking about a woman who wears guns on her heels, but who knows? More conservative Christians, such as the website Plugged In and their company focused on the family, mostly aren't quite enamored with the Bayonetta. In everything you do, one must do it as well as in the name of Jesus Christ. Why should this not also extend to a challenging video game? That's what I tend to do anyway, not that playing a single-player 3D action game can, in any way, be construed as quote-unquote service, or anything of that ilk. Our actions in every facet of life demand a response that is Christian, and that extends to moments of frustration and anger at games. Because seriously, who hasn't gotten angry at a game to the point of throwing a controller on the ground or against the wall? Maybe that's a non-universal experience, but I'm sure I could give you many examples. Even in that kind of situation, we must press on and continue. That's as true in life as in video games. Perseverance and hard work give reward, even if that reward isn't attached with tangible, physical benefits. Just like Christianity, it would seem. The easy way to summarize this is with the easy verse from 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There's one other issue that has caused a great deal of tension about Béna, feminism. It has, alternatively, been viewed as a paean to the wonders and joys of being a woman, or a disgusting sexist display of how men think women should be portrayed in video games, or, on the other hand, some kind of feminine empowerment narrative. Most people would simply wave these criticisms away with a wave of the hand, but I suppose there's some merit to that argument. After all, how many games have a woman who has clothing made of her own hair attack people with said hair and inadvertently strip off her own clothing in the process? That's not to mention, for example, that the lock-on targeting symbol is, get this, a pink lipstick kiss that actually stuns enemies. And anytime time the takes damage, she turns the blood that would appear into roses. Double jumps make butterflies appear. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's bizarre. And I can see what, for example... God Why, for example, God of War makes more American men feel quite heterosexual, rather than having to explain to their moms, girlfriends, and wives why they're playing the silly girl slash sexual exploitation game. There's even pole dancing. Yes, we're really moving forward now, ladies. Of course, there's quite a few facts that go against accusations of sexism, if you choose to actually do any research. Kamiya, quite literally, decided to switch the theme of his games. Usually they're characterized as male games, but the theme for Bayonetta is woman. Kamiya presented his initial ideas for Bayonetta, which was a pretty vague outline at the time, to his designer, Mari Shimazaki, a woman herself. As he says, I felt sure she would be the only one who would be able to create Bayonetta's character design. Of course, she could take a unique idea and create a design that works. Most of all, she is a designer who pays a great deal of attention to detail, particularly from the woman's perspective, something men don't have. Sure, this is a 3D battle action game, but I didn't want typical male imagery, a battle-capable woman in a battlesuit. Since we had a woman as our main character, I wanted to create a fashionable design. We needed a person who was interested in fashion in their private lives as well, and would, who would be able to reflect this in the design. She was the only person who I thought could do this, and I wanted her to create the design at any cost. And, to further drive the point home, the typical female character has big boobs and shows off her skin, a male image of women, designed to win men's favor. This type of design happens all the time. Women's beauty is not like that. This is why what I always told her, and I think she got that. I said, please avoid any poor taste. Eroticism is something that every man can imagine easily. I wanted to create a character who wouldn't be offensive to women. Her back is quite bare. This was her idea. This method of showing skin has a woman's touch. An open back is an elegant way to show skin like a dress. This type of presentation is very feminine. I guess these elements are key to successful design in Bayonetta. Is Kami a sexist? We could go into this all day long with clickbait articles. Kotaku and not come up with anything substantive. Let's say, at the least, he has a particular idea of women, and that's what's in the game. Is it necessarily horrible and exploitative? Not that I could say. For one thing, she's a computer character. Gummius tends to imagine his character acting, working, and moving in particular ways. Bayonetta does the moves one way, while let's, by contrast, show that Jean does them another way. Bayonetta dodges on the ground because, hey, her clothes made of hair and can't get dirty, and as I found out later, apparently Bayonetta's upbringing was not as quote-unquote high-class as some others. Jean, on the other hand, does not roll ever because she bought her expensive clothing from the imagined fashion line Dark. I suppose some of the extra costumes obviously appeal blatantly to some weird Japanese fetishes. Schoolgirls and cheerleaders, anyone? But, you know, I'm honestly not offended. I guess that's because I'm a male and I have no free will, right? And let's go further and say, why take this game so seriously? It's obviously not trying to tell me a world-changing message of any kind. It's just a platform for fun, the challenge of mastering fair game dynamics. Not to derail this article. Or this monologue, as we might say. But feminism represents a return to the earliest human societies. The intent is separation, conflict, and winning the war against one's enemies. In this case, the ideological oppressors and under the guise of academic scholarship. The goal for these groups is conquest, victory, and regnancy for their particular interest group— i.e. the feminist narrative to which all others should bow, not as they want to say and as they want to appeal to you as an equal society. They believe in a cosmic narrative of their own founding which places them as the victims on the correct, quote-unquote right side of history and all who oppose them as the oppressors. Eventually, the tide of history will turn their way and the oppressor will be vanquished. Robert C. Neville, Professor of Philosophical Theology at Boston University, notes of feminism and other quote-unquote revolutionary ideas of the more modern era that they are themselves unrevolutionary modernist developments of European modern thought, the very thought against whose institutionalized culture the social revolutions are believed to have addressed. In Neville's thought, these revolutionary theologies rely on the Enlightenment ideas of power in the idea of narrative, as in, somebody has to have power, and there is only a limited amount, so everybody needs to grab it and get it, so that they can use it against other people. It's the same thing that makes interest groups work. They rest under the same assumptions as the rest of society, even if they say they don't. For it to truly quote quote represent women, they need to remove the idea of gender altogether. But none are willing to take that step. Let's say that Galatians 3.28 should be our high watermark. The rest of this attempt to place people in particular positions based on some arbitrary quality is diametrically opposed to any Christian perspective. We are beyond boundaries in the limitations in human communication in that sense, and for Christians to reestablish them again just to resettle the balance still doesn't remove the essential conflict of sin in the world. Why place a new class system on everyone? How far is this against the idea of church? I would, furthermore, add that the developers in creating this world have obviously thought long and hard about every aspect of the game, even the designs of the characters. Bayonetta is not a pandering character. She is a unique individual in and of herself, and any cursory amount of research seems to show this. Bayonetta wears glasses, for example, because she had a traumatic experience as a child. It does this to mask her true face. In fact, if you go through the entire game, there is only one section in which she takes off her glasses, and you're not even allowed to see her actual whole face. And if I had to guess, I don't think Bayonetta 2 has her take off the glasses either. Even the ribbon on Bayonetta's head actually means something. It's her name written repeatedly, but incorrectly because apparently she's semi-illiterate. Even if she represents herself in that fashion within the game, Kamiya imagines all her, his characters as having personalities, traits, and emotions as expressed through their style. If you watch the Bayonetta developer's commentary, this becomes clear almost immediately, as, he has, as Kamiya has a rational, logical explanation for just about everything that happens in the plot, even if it's not all that clear. So there is some bizarro internal consistency going on there. But all of this accumulated creative consciousness, all these ideas that Kamiya places into these things, is why all of his characters have these unique personalities that people love. It's why Dante always looks cool and collected, or why Beautiful Joe has the special pose and the tongue sticking out, because he's a movie nerd. Personality and style are one and the same when it comes to an aesthetic medium. And anyone who has played the game know that Bayonetta isn't just a sexual object for men to ogle, contrary to Arnidius Sarkeesian's claims as such. She is a character in a person, in addition to being a supernatural angel slayer. She even has a... some kind of love interest, who happens to be the weakest character in the entire game, as presented by the story. Seriously, do these critics even play these games? Every single man in the game is some kind of stupid bumbler, for the most part. The designs reflect the care and dedication placed at every level of design. The myriad references to other games and pop culture, which I most certainly won't spoil, also attest to how much care was placed in the whole experience for the player's enjoyment and challenge. The music, as well, shows nice variety with its 5-CD soundtrack, which I bought, I'll admit, moving from intense synth work to smoky lounge jazz. I love the music because... As odd as it is, it fits the tone perfectly and is completely unique to the game. The above picture of Beautiful Joe even gets a mention, as well as Kamiya's other games. You know, the whole Henshinagogo A Go Go baby. The Okami reference should be so obvious that I'm not even going to tell. It's pretty telling, I think. But all these elements combine into one magnificent game. The thought put into literally every aspect of the game shows true creativity and mechanical perfection. Unless you're against the aesthetic because you have preconceived notions of what's good and what's bad, I can't imagine anyone not thinking this game as an inheritor of a vast array of influences molded and refined to a singular purpose. And let me tell you, it's impossible to ogle Bayonetta in this game when there's so much stuff going on. Literally, it just becomes a bundle of mechanics. That's why it's on the list, after all. I'm just sad that I can't include Kamiya's other games. This guy has a way with video games because he simply loves them and knows what makes a great one from a merely good one. Bayonetta is a great game. And so that has been Theology Gaming Monologues. I hope you enjoyed my long, 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 long article about this. I just love Bayana, I do enjoy talking about it, and I hope you, if you've read the actual article you've noticed the subtle differences I threw in there as I went, and also the ways that I have stumbled while trying to speak by myself and becoming incredibly thirsty along the way. If you liked what you heard, please go and subscribe to us on iTunes, and if this isn't on iTunes yet, then go to our website, theologygaming.com, where you can find more of this kind of content and stuff. And if you'd like to contact me, you may ask me any kind of question you desire at beautiful, as in Beautiful Joe, beautiful, Z-F-O, at gmail.com. Feel free to contact me. I'd love to talk to any of you. And if you would like to talk to the vast majority of the people who are involved in the Theology Gaming Project, go to Facebook, to our Facebook group called Theology Gaming University. If you ask me for an invite, I will invite you in. Please just don't spam stuff. All right, this has been Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming blog. See you guys later.